Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello, uh, and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. I, I shouldn't have said, uh, just then. My son was making fun of me yesterday for saying, um, too much. So uh, I didn't do that. I just said, hello, welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Uh, oh, I <laughs> did it again. And uh, my name is Jeremy Lightning. I am here with Zacchaeus. And uh, our guest today is Shu Zen. You would maybe better know him as, maybe you maybe don't know him at all, but uh, his, in English, we call him Peter Shi. And uh, he was a student teacher at Shoreland Lutheran High School, where I teach. He was also my uh, carpool buddy that uh, would drive with me every day to school. And uh, now he has been called and assigned to uh, Illinois Lutheran High School. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing all about that. So welcome, Peter. Thank you. <clears throat> so Peter, where are you originally from then? And how long have you been in the States? Um, I am originally from Yinchuan, Ningxia, China. It's like uh, in the middle north, right underneath of Inner Mongolia. And I've been states for eight years. This is my uh, end of my eighth year. Soon, when school starts in August, it's going to be the beginning of my ninth year. So what led you into the wells from being where you're from? Uh, so this would have to tr trace back all the way to when I was fifth grade in grade school back in China. Like <clears throat> my aunt Phoebe, she takes an online Bible class with uh, the Wiles pastors through Skype. And then I was a little kid. I saw that. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I kind of want to be a pastor because back then I, I, I think like being a pastor is the way to get me to do something like that, to like talk to people over Skype and online to speak English and stuff. So that kind of planted a seat in her head <clears throat> all the way up to eighth grade. That was the second last year I went to school in China. She asked me halfway through my eighth grade year, eighth grade year, she she's like, do you want to go study abroad in America? And I was like, I thought she was joking. So, so I said yes, jokingly, but, but then she worked everything out. She planned everything out. Uh, that's when I uh, decided to go to MLS in Saginaw, Michigan uh, for high school. And then uh, I was finishing up my high school career uh, on junior tour. We went to MLC for visiting. And then that was when I wanted to become a teacher because I my English wasn't great back then. So learn, knowing that pastor have to learn three different languages, I kind of, I, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready for another three <laughs> languages based on my second language already. So, and I always want to be a teacher when I was a little kid. So that's when, that's why I became a teacher at MLC and chemistry and physics. That's my field. So Jeremy, what was Peter like at teaching at Shoreland? Well, uh, I would hear lots of complaints from his students when they, of course, of course, when they, they, they go to other classes, I'm sure they complain about German and religion, but uh, of course, when the teacher's not around, then that's when they complain. Uh, but uh, I heard lots of complaints about his tests, but then uh, at the end of the year, 
everybody was complaining even more that he was going away. So there you go. He, he must have been a good teacher. Yeah, so that's one of the things I think you'll learn, Peter. If, if the kids are complaining about your tests, that means you're probably doing a really good job because you're, you're actually challenging them. That's why I hear lots of complaints about you too, Jeremy, because <laughs> you're challenging to your students. I'm picky. Uh, Peter, what was Peter when we were at the carpool in the morning would try to teach me some Chinese, and I've pretty well forgotten it all now. But uh, what was it that uh, when I would want to tell Lindsay that she looks pretty? What do you? What did? What did I say? What do you have to say? Oh, uh, uh, you're very Yeah, I forgot that totally. <laughs> and uh, and then and then I have to fill up my gas tank, or I have to pump gas. Uh, I remember. Okay, Jayo. Yeah. So but you should get lots of practice using that, Jeremy. Yeah. It, uh oh, my something's beeping at me. I might be going low on battery here. So, so Peter, what were classes like at MLC as compared to Michigan Lutheran Seminary MLS? Um. It's it's quite different. I mean, it's first the biggest the biggest difference be a high school classroom and the college classroom. You know, in in high school classrooms, you have to be on time all the time. You like you can't be tardy. That's a no no. But in college, they're more uh, re relaxed with that. As long as you don't like show up late every single day. Like sometimes, if you're late, then it's okay because like it, it's college, you got your own stuff going, you're busy. Professor even addressed that as like, uh, I understand if you can't be here on time, but just please be responsible and respectful as much as you can. And just, you know, uh, it's, it's different. It's like from high school to somewhat adult world. So like this classroom environment is different. Um, the relationship in between the teachers and the students is different. Uh, in high school, it's just uh, teacher to student, and the student have to <clears throat> follow everything that teacher says. But in college, it's more like uh, the college is trying to train you in a way that you can think on your own. So uh, a lot of times, if you have a question that you have, you can ask the professor, and the professor would likely to appreciate what you ask. And um, it's just, and then it's just the material is much harder than high school materials. You're actually learning a lot more things than in the uh, field that you're studying. And uh, peers and to peers, they're just more respectful. It's more like adults. Unlike in high school, everybody's trying to roast each other, try to, you know, <laughs> try to be cool in the front of peers. So, so that's like a major difference in from high school to college. So here's one of the things, you know, Jeremy and Peter, when I went to college, it was Northwestern College, it was all guys. And then you guys both went to Martin Luther College, where you've got the women on campus. So I'm going to guess, just going on a limb here, that guys actually showered and dressed up a little bit to go to class as opposed to the slabs that I went to school with. Is that <laughs> yes, true or yeah. not? It, it, it is to a degree true. Like some, some students, some students at MLC still are trying, still trying to learn that. 
maybe because they're homeschooled or maybe they just uh, don't really mind their self-image too much yet. But a lot of guys do try to impress girls in dressing up nicely and, uh, you know, do their hair and take a shower every day for sure. <laughs> What what did you find out, Jeremy? Uh, we were just after the amalgamation of Northwestern and, and DMLC. So I think there's probably still a little bit of a hangover of uh, guys not caring as much, but uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more than in your day. Yeah, because now, now they're going to MLC. And, you know, if you don't get married when you're graduating MLC, I think they think you're a weirdo or something like that, right? That's that I that's one thing I don't like about MLC is like students like people do realize that's not true like as year moves on but then the first year they come in they come in with a mindset be like mindset be like if I don't find a girlfriend I will I will be single for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, I I was at that position. I was in that kind of mindset for like a year or so. And then after that, I realized, oh, oh I, it's okay. <laughs> no biggie. Okay. So where are you going to now and what are you going to be teaching? Um, I'm going to Illinois Lutheran High School in Crete, Illinois, which is an hour south to uh, Chicago. It's like on the, from what I heard is on the edge of the suburb and rural area. I believe, and I'm going to be teaching uh, 10th, 11th grades, uh, chemistry and physics, and um, another section of earth science. So that's the five class, five class periods that I'm going to be teaching at L Illinois Lutheran. So uh, Peter, I forget if we ever talked about this. Do you like uh, roller coasters? Do you like thrill rides? Do I like what? roller coasters or thrill rides at amusement parks oh yeah, yeah of course i do okay so i want to tell a story because last week i mentioned how i was going to be up all night on saturday night uh, chaperoning the uh shoreland um grad night where the seniors got to go to six flags and uh one of the things was i had a church service with the kids before we left since they weren't probably going to be going to church on Sunday morning. And uh, I used our readings from last week as the basis for that uh, devotion before we left. And uh, one of the things at Six Flags that they had was a chap, they had a couple of chaperone lounges where none of the high schoolers were allowed. It was only the chaperones that could go in there and have some time to relax and eat some free food and things like that. And, um, the other chaperone from Shoreland and I, uh, Ben Jeske, uh, we were sitting at a table in one of these lounges, and all of a sudden, somebody walks by with a sweatshirt that said Martin Luther College, New Ulm, Minnesota on it. And, I, and I, I leaned over and I said, hey, MLC sweatshirt, MLC sweatshirt. And he looks over at me, and it was uh, the son of our kindergarten teacher at WLS, Mr. and Mrs. Lash, uh, hmm. their son who is at Illinois Lutheran High School. And so I just wanted to say, if I don't see you before then, you could volunteer next year to be the chaperone from ILHS <laughs> at grad night. And, and I, I will see you uh, next uh, spring at grad night at Six Flags. 
All right, I'll, I'll definitely look forward to that because a fun fact is that during my senior skit day at MLS, my physics teacher took us on to the trip. So since I'm teaching physics, I think that's likely to happen. We'll see what happens once I get there. Well, Jeremy and Peter, you will not see me at grad night. I, not that I don't like roller coasters, but I don't like being up that late, especially with hanging out with teenagers. Uh, Peter, I got <laughs> one last question for you is, so what is it like with Christianity in, in where you're from, you know, your city, and then, you know, all of China? Um, well, uh, like, of course, religion is not like as free as here, but like government do let uh, relig religious activity happen in like the property that government gave the church to have acti activity with. So from where I came from, uh, Yingchuan, we have like three congregations in the entire city, inside of the entire city. And um, I, I don't know what domination they, they are, but like when I go in, they uh, have female pastors, they have like, and then the everything else is kind of similar to uh, the, the worship style here. And I never bothered to ask what like domination they, they are because I was like too young back then. I don't really know much about Christianity. Um, so yeah, like when I don't know if you guys have heard about Rising Eagles. Oh. That's a that's a Wells International School in Beijing. And then they got shut down like a couple years ago, I think. There are like uh, the there are several reasons that they got shut down. They because of their pre because of the religious uh, part and then because of the licensure part and because of the relationship in between China and America part, like it's, it's pretty complicated. But in China, if you tell people that you're a Christian, <clears throat> most likely they, they won't be like, oh, uh, you, you're Christian, you're bad. It's more like it's, uh, oh, you're a Christian. Cool. Good to know. But they wouldn't like, they don't, they don't mind if you're a Christian. Like when I went back to China, I told my friends, oh, I'm a Christian now. And they're like, oh, cool. Good for you. Then, well, that's yeah. interesting because I baptized a young lady who was from China. Uh, she was a, a senior at Shoreland and she was staying with one of our families. And when she went to college, I think you know, here in the States, but then she had gone back to China just before COVID. And then she told me and then her host family from here not to reach out to her and definitely not mention anything and any kind of correspondence with her about Christianity because she didn't want the Chinese government to, to come down on her, her, her grandmother and her mother. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't know what exactly happened to her, but I never had a problem coming back, okay. going back to China and worry about that. The government will come after me. That, that was never an issue. Okay. Jeremy, you have anything else you want to follow up with? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. You want to ready to get into the gospel then? Sure. Sure. Okay. So this is the 
<laughs> these are going to be the readings for the last Sunday of the Easter season before we move into Pentecost. So this comes from John 17, beginning with verse 20. And uh, the night before Jesus died, he is speaking one last time with his disciples, uh, kind of giving them a, a last class period, a last lesson. And uh, this is the part, uh, it's a more of a closing prayer to the lesson. So he is talking to his heavenly father, and in John 17, starting with verse 20, he says, I am praying not only for them, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they become completely one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world did not know you, but I knew you, and these men knew that you sent me. I made your name known to them. And will continue to make it known, so that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I may be in them. So, Jeremy, this prayer is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, Jesus acts as our high priest by interceding to the Father on our behalf. So, in this prayer, for whom is Jesus praying? Well, it has some parts, like I said, this is, we're kind of in the middle of it. And uh, the part just before this, Jesus was praying for the, I suppose you could say the 12 apostles, his direct disciples that were eyewitnesses of his ministry. And, and then the first thing I read was, I am praying not only for them, but also for those who believe in me through their message. And so that you could say is us even today. Uh, it's, of course, the first converts to Christianity back in the first century but it's anybody who has heard and believed the apostles' message about Jesus. Uh, that's, that's who he's praying for. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is teaching us that we're not only to pray for ourselves, because that's easy to do, uh, but we need to remember to pray for the spiritual and physical well-being of others. They were praying for unity. They're going to be talking about others. And one of the things that I teach my, my catechism students and my adult confirmands about praying is uh, the acronym JOY. Uh, Jesus, others, yourself. He said it's, like I tell them, is it's really easy to pray for yourself, but we want to pray for Jesus, his kingdom work, our church, our grade school, our high school, Martin Luther College, the seminary, and so forth. Then others. The oh, the the prayers for as we're interceding for others, like we might do in the prayer of the church, and then finally comes the why. Then you pray for yourself. Peter, Jesus said he would continue to make God known to the world. How is Jesus making God known to the world today? Um, I, I'd say one thing that God is using is, of course, us. He said uh, he would train us for in the future ministry. And so 
pastors and teachers they will be sent out to the country all the, all the other countries and all the high schools grade schools to preach god's word i i think that what that's one of the greatest way that god has used us to preach his word you want to add anything to that jeremy about how jesus is making god known to the world today no i think he summed it up pretty well i think uh, the only thing that you could that might be just a little bit of another way to say it is um, different means that the, that the human, we, he meant, Peter mentioned the humans and all I'm going to do is mention the human means that uh, humans use to spread the message. So for instance, you could think of our podcast right now. You could think of, um, you know, uh, uh, zoom calls. Uh, you could think of uh I did a, a radio devotion when I was in Kansas, uh, and uh, there are televised services. Uh, there's going door to door. There's lots of different uh, channels or tools or methods that that the humans use. But I think Peter pretty well summed it up. Yeah, and then uh, two weeks ago was call day at Martin Luther College, and I was there. Got my picture taken with Peter afterwards. Uh, this last Thursday, yesterday as we celebrated the ascension of our Lord was call day at the seminary. And I was really hoping to go to call day at the seminary because we had asked for a graduate and we didn't get one. And it's a reminder for myself. And the sermon that I'm preaching on on Sunday is uh, the first reading from Acts 16 that we're not gonna talk about today, but the theme for the sermon is really long, but it's, uh, God is preparing the right man for the right place at the right time. It's a reminder for our people and myself. You know, we've placed 11 calls from the field. We've gone to the seminary twice and still haven't gotten a pastor. And yet uh, that God is preparing those right people and, and he's spreading that message. Like you guys said, uh, whether it's a missionary that's physically in one place or you know, the way that the Wells reached out to your aunt, Peter, in China, or a podcast like this, and in so many other different ways. Uh, this week, I had a brand new shut-in that I went and visited that, uh, unfortunately, the family's house had burned down in Kenosha. And they moved up on the north side. The, the father's uh, dis uh, disabled from an accident, and yet he just kept praising God in this visit. And the first time I met him, just the way God was still taking care of him, moving the family to the north side of Racine in a much better house and a much neighbor, better neighborhood. And their son, who's 16 and homeschooled, and he's down and depressed because of the fire and he doesn't know anyone. And now he's connecting with our congregation where we have over 30 active teenagers. And it's actually a blessing to, to have that son and the father in in our church but none of that happens without that that fire as devastating as it was but i just bring that up as an example of more ways of uh, the holy spirit using different people to share god's word with uh, various people jeremy so jesus in this high priestly prayer is praying for unity how is unity often established today versus the way Jesus wants to establish unity? 
I, I really don't know. Uh, just because, I, yeah, I'm not very in tune with how people are establishing. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't have any good examples off the top of my head. Uh, but, but I will say that maybe most helpful insight that I got on this verse one time was from a, a teacher trained uh, staff. He was a staff minister at the time. I think he's, or I know he's teaching again now, but um, what, he, what he pointed out to me was, can you see the unity of the father and the son? Like right now, can you visibly see how the, the father of the Godhead and the son of the Godhead are one in essence? And the answer is no. No, that's, that's an invisible thing to us humans. You can't see their unity. And in the same way, uh, we shouldn't expect that we will see the unity of uh, the church on earth in, in a visible way. And that's what I think people, maybe that's the answer to your question, is people most often want to see a visible unity of the church where all the denominations are set aside and all the confessions of faith and, and uh, belief systems are um, discarded and, uh, and everybody just agrees to disagree or disagrees to agree. Uh, is, that, is that kind of what you were driving at? Well, I was kind of thinking that like, the way the world tries to base, uh, create unity and the way they describe unity is more like uniformity. You better believe in the exact same thing or we're gonna cancel you. Whether that's going to be on trans issues and gender fluidity, or or uh, critical race theory, or whatever it is, I think Pastor Bauer, whom we had on as our first guest and teaches at Shoreland with you, he preached in our Ascension service last night, and one of the things he and I were talking about afterwards, because he mentioned how oftentimes it's difficult to demonstrate love to someone because we have to call out their sin and he and I were talking about and he brought it up in his sermon how students at Shoreland you know they're already infected by the thinking of the world that they don't want to speak out they think it's unloving to point out someone's sin and that's I think uniformity but as he and I were discussing is uh, you know Jesus calls us to love one another but our temptation is we just rather would be liked. And when we're calling out someone's sin, it may seem like we're not united because we're calling out the sin, but we're calling them to repentance because we're calling them into the kingdom so that we can be united. That's kind of what I'm thinking of. I don't know if Peter, if you or Jeremy want to add anything with that. Um, I just think one of the biggest difference from like the now today's unity and a biblical time is that a social media and media plays such a big role in our life. And is like so many teenagers are easily affected by those um, kind of the role model that the social media have to set, have set for them. So that really would um, mess with what the Bible teaches sometimes. That's I like, think, my only response to Michael, what you said was, um, I guess I, I wasn't thinking of it so much from the social issues type of a, a viewpoint. I was thinking of it more from um, denominational differences viewpoint and unionism. I think, I think there are uh, lots of 
denominations that would consider themselves socially conservative, that they would, you know, be, they would take an, a stance in agreement with us on things like homosexuality or the transgender movement or um, uh, critical race theory. They would agree with us on all those things, but all of those things actually are law. They're, they're, they're God's law. And uh, what, we, what uh, I, when I had this thrown in my face one time, it was actually by a Catholic priest that was probably a pretty conservative, uh, straight-laced guy. Uh, but I was, I was trying to talk to him about why uh, he shouldn't be so strict or their bishop of the area shouldn't be so strict on uh, a member of my church who was marrying a member of his church. And uh, they wanted to make sure that all these I's were dotted and T's were crossed before uh, allowing the marriage of a Catholic to happen in a Lutheran church. And uh, I, I was performing the marriage and I was talking to this priest and I just said, where are you getting any of this from scripture? And he said, and he said to me, well, didn't Jesus say, may they all be one as we are one. And, and what he was, I think, basically telling me is that uh, Martin Luther was such a bad guy so long ago because he um, he he took a stand for the gospel and uh, said that it is for free and by grace alone that we are saved and uh, that was such that was so troublesome because it splintered apart the church and now the church is not one anymore and and my point is just that I was trying to say before about the Father and the Holy uh, the Father and the Son being one is that. Uh, it may look like the church is all splintered apart today because there's so many denominations. But the fact is, just as you cannot see the unity of the Father and the Son, you cannot see the unity of the church. So it really is united, even though uh, outwardly we may see all these denominations. And, and in talking about denominations, I know several decades ago when uh, the Catholic Church was uniting with the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and a couple other church bodies. You would say, well, how could say the Catholics and the Lutherans ever join together? There's, you know, they, there's so much that divides them just in the simple statement that we're saved by faith. And the Catholics say we're saved by faith plus works. Lutherans say we're saved by faith alone. And when you read, read the document that uh, brought those two church bodies of Elka and Roman Catholicism together to say, it said, we're saved by faith and left it at that. That way the Catholics could add in the works when they read it. And then the Lutherans could add in alone when they, when they read it. And so it was creating unity where there really wasn't a true unity. Uh, and I remember taking an adult confirmand through classes a long time ago and she was coming from the Episcopal church and one of the, and I, so I bought one of the books on Episcopalianism from Northwestern publishing house, because I didn't know anything about it. And one of the things that was really interesting to me was that you can believe pretty much anything you want in the Episcopal church, unless you tell other people that what they're believing is wrong. You know, so if you want to believe in homosexuality, you're okay. If you want to believe in man, woman, and marriage, you're okay. If you want to believe this or that, as long you're all welcome underneath the umbrella of Episcopalianism, as long as you don't tell other people that 
your belief is right and then someone else's belief is wrong. That's minimizing the differences to create an outward unity. That was, yeah, you just reminded me of another story from, that was in my Kansas days that I I had that Catholic priest say that to me. And I had another friend who was an Episcopalian priest that uh, was talking about, um, we would today say districts, that basically we have the districts of the wells, you know, and in uh, the Episcopalian church, they have, uh, I think they call them dioceses instead of districts. And uh, there was a particular bishop, or we would say district president, uh, bishop of one of these dioceses that he was saying, we're really trying to get this guy voted out because he was a granola munching hippie who denied parts of the Apostles' Creed. And I told that to a classmate of mine one time, and he said, well, if you've got a granola munching hippie who denies parts of the Apostles' Creed, then why are you still even in fellowship with him? Why are you still even in your church body? Yeah. Yeah, and Jeremy, you and I know someone that likes to say very often, well, we just want to give people Jesus. And, and you know, because how can you argue with that? And yet Jesus said he wanted to give people more than Jesus. He said uh, he's calling us to be his disciples. And disciples mean that we follow everything that he's, he's uh, teaching. And what we're talking about here is people that want to call themselves disciples without uh, following all of the things that all of the the doctrines the teachings that the triune god has laid out for himself and so you know when i've responded to people who said well we just want to give them jesus and i said well but we, we want to teach them the commandments well yeah you want to teach them the commandments well what about you know you want to give them the triune god well that's the apostles creed we want to teach them the lord's prayer but we should teach them about law and gospel about withholding and withholding forgiveness and giving forgiveness uh, and and we want to give them baptism and the lord's supper and you know you can't disagree with any of those things well those are the six chief parts of the catechism which is exactly what we teach our youth and adults to confirm them and make them official members of the congregation declaring them to be disciples so it's not just giving them jesus we're creating a unity based on jesus and his teachings I, I would I wouldn't disagree with somebody who says let's just give them Jesus. Uh, I would say yes, let's give them Jesus, and now let's let's talk about who he is and what he teaches, because everything in that name uh, is, is all the things that you just mentioned. Yeah, Peter. Anything else that you want to add with the gospel lesson before we move on to the epistle? No, no, I don't really have anything to add on. All right, Jeremy, you want to read Revelation 22? Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, to repay each one according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life, so that they may enter through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, that is, the sorcerers, the adulterers, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. 
The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears this say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. The one who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So, Jeremy, John's vision began with the Lord God identifying himself as the Alpha and the Omega back in Revelation 1, verse 8. It ends with Jesus identifying himself in exactly the same way in verse 13. So how is what John is hearing Jesus say in this vision exactly what he heard Jesus say in the upper room on the night before his death? Uh, are you making reference to the gospel that we just read? Yes. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is uh, that Jesus told the father that you, you have loved me father with a love bef since before the foundation of the world. Uh, and that certainly relates to the alpha and the omega being, being before time began and uh, for all eternity. Yeah. And what, what you're talking about here is they are united. They're united from the creation of the world, the foundations of the world in uh, the triune God's mission of sending Christ for salvation. So Peter, Revelation clearly states that eternal life is free. Uh, that's verse 6 uh, in chapter 21. It's inherited, verse 7 of chapter 21. It's an undeserved gift, verse 17 of this text. Well, you're so not going to give him this. Are you, are you really going to throw that one to him? Yeah. So what does it mean that Jesus is going to bring a reward and a repayment? Because he says uh, that he's bringing, uh, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me and to repay each one. So if everything's free, how is it a reward or a repayment? Come on, he just I'm graduated sorry, MLC. Uh, <laughs> he is such a meanie. Well, from, from my depth, depth of get, knowledge, I got I, I got to see how good MLC's education is, Peter. <laughs> All right, uh, let, let me try on this one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a chemistry and physics major, so if you ask me a chemistry-related <laughs> question, it will be easier for me, but well, I'll try my best. So uh, from my understanding, uh, I'd say that all of us are sinful and imperfect, so therefore we don't deserve, um, we don't deserve anything from the Lord. But uh, when Jesus returns, he will bring salvation to everybody who believes in him, who believes in that Jesus died for our sins, which will uh, have eternal life after the earthly world. So I'd say that's a reward. And the repayment is, of course, to the devil, to the evil ones, where they will go to hell and suffer eternally. So that's that would be my understanding of like the reward and repayment. See, what were you worried about, Jeremy? He hammered it. <laughs> you, do you want to add anything to that, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I don't think we need to back down from the word reward or repayment. Uh, I don't think either of them need to be. Uh, what did Jesus say? Uh, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And uh, uh, he talks a lot about rewards. And, and I think that we think uh, if we say reward or repayment, uh, that uh, somehow people are going to think that they're saved by their works. Well, Jesus didn't 
Jesus wasn't afraid of that. He didn't think that. He spoke very freely and openly about rewards and repayments. I think the key is in the word according to. He doesn't say, I will reward or repay because of what you have done. I will reward or repay because I am gracious and merciful and I give things out for free. But it is true that what they are are incentives to, that, uh, to do good works. And it, doing good works is a good thing to do. And God wants to encourage us to do more of them. And so he says, hey, when you do good works, that's not what makes, that's not what gets you into heaven. But I will repay according to the good works that you've done. So uh, if you spend like one hour weeding the garden for your parents, uh, then you will get one hour of, uh, you know, extra uh, reward in heaven or something like that. Uh, uh, a special privilege or, or who knows what it is. But it's it, Jesus says it's nice and it's going to be in proportion to good things that you've done on this earth. It's not how you get into heaven, but there will be rewards in this life too, he says, in this life and in heaven. That, that reminds me of a question that my eighth graders or seventh graders had last week in our last class period, we didn't ask the pastor. And one of the kids asked, so are there levels in hell? And I said, only for people who ask questions of the pastor like that. Uh, but, but Peter, I really like what you said too, to build on what Jeremy had said about the reward. You had talked about the repayment to those who are unbelievers. That when they, because again, Jeremy said that we sometimes shy away from the reward aspect. I think sometimes we shy away from the repayment aspect that for those who are unbelievers, that there is a hell and that is waiting for them who reject Christ and his works and then rely only upon their works. Verse 15, it said, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the adulterers, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So he's not talking about literal dogs. But last week I was in the third grade classroom of our grade school and I was getting ready to read a book to them. And beforehand, the teacher had the students ask me questions, whatever it was. And the first question was, pastor, what happens to animals when they die? And, and I said, well, they go to the ground just to be kind of snarky with them. And then the boy who asked the question said, no, I mean, do they go to heaven? And, and I said, well, you know, there's that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And then I whispered to the teacher, but I heard the cats go to the other place. Well, that boy heard it. And then he shouted for everyone to hear in the classroom. I knew it. I knew, I knew cats went to hell. So I had to call up mom later on and say, if your son came home and said, pastor said cats go to hell. Uh, I didn't really say that. I may have inferred it, but he's the one that said it. Uh, Jeremy, what is the final encouragement in Revelation? Uh, that, that Jesus is uh, coming quickly. He is, he, is not, he, is, he is doing everything he can to make Judgment Day happen as soon as possible 
uh, it needs to be on his time and uh, it, it can't be, it can't be uh, sooner than that uh, because that would not be good, but he's, he's not going to let it last. He's not going to let this sinful, painful world last any longer than uh, absolutely necessary. And then it says in verse 17, another encouragement, the spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride, that's us as a Christian church, say, come. And let the one who hears this say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. And for our listeners, that phrase about drinking freely from the water of life is one of the references of why our congregation, when we merged, chose the name of water of life. That the name of the congregation I've been serving at in Racine of Epiphany, it's a very unique name. It's the only Epiphany in the whole Wisconsin Synod. And then New Hope, the church that we are merging with, that there were only two New Hopes in the Wisconsin Synod. And yet we wanted to merge the two churches and the names so that we knew that we were united and we didn't want to become like Epiphany's New Hope or the New Hope of Epiphany. So we gave the people uh, criteria. We wanted them to choose the name. And we said we wanted the name of the church to be something that's still unique, like Epiphany and New Hope. We wanted it to be biblical and we wanted it to have a tie to the community that we minister in. And so the top three names were the root of life because we have the root river and Racine is French for root and we have the root river that flows through Racine and then the second name was the river of life because of the root river and then also the third option was water of life because of the root river because we have underground springs and we're right along Lake Michigan. And then water of life, though, is the one that was chosen, and it has those references to baptism and to Jesus talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, offering her the water of life, and then Revelation chapter 21 and 22 of coming to the water of life, and that water of life that comes to us in baptism, that water of life that we give to others in uh, in God's word, that they can drink deeply from that water. But Peter, when, when Jeremy was talking about Jesus saying, I am coming soon, what does he mean? Because it's been 2,000 years. Is, is Jesus uh, mistaken? Well, that doesn't necessarily mean any time that we know, because... Like, like the Bible Bible said that Jesus will come in like a thief of the night, then we just need to be ready whenever Jesus comes is the time. Okay. But the Lord of the day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So the, our, yeah, our judgment of time is not, we might say that this certain things are soon. And he says, no, I think soon is, is this. Yeah, because Jeremy, you've got a you've got a little guy at home. Is his concept of time the same as you and your wife's concept of time? No. <laughs> no, I'm sure he's a little impatient when you say, "Hey, we're going to be going soon," and for him, because well, you're going to learn this, Peter, because now you're a called worker, and so when you 
when you're saying goodbye after a school function, it's going to take you an hour to say goodbye. Because that's what called workers do. They say, ah, you, you tell your family, yeah, we're leaving soon. And you, you've got to talk to another six people on your way out the door. And your concept of soon is like an hour. Uh, Jeremy's little guy, his concept of now, of leaving now is five minutes. Yep. For sure. Um, I, I realized that after I student taught, like when I have things to do all day, the day goes by just in a snap. But the very last day I was at student teaching, uh, uh, it was the Friday, the very last day of my student teaching. I didn't have to teach anything. So I sat there all day. A whole day felt like a year because I, I just had absolutely nothing to do the whole day. Yeah. So last question I have for you guys is when you read through Revelation, there are a lot of distressing images that talk about a, a great tribulation that's going to fall upon the church. So both of you guys can answer this question. But this last vision in Revelation chapter 22, what kind of assurance does this vision that Jesus gives to his Christian church, can, uh, what kind of encouragement does it have? despite the tribulation that we're going to face? Peter, you want to go first? Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Uh, or, you want, uh, or you want Jeremy to answer first? Yeah, can, 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 can I go second? <laughs> yeah. uh, I was just thinking about, uh, it's, it may seem like kind of cold comfort, but it's not. Uh, outside are the dogs, that is the sorcerers, the adulterers, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Uh, that, uh, you know, I think back to that, uh, Saturday, that Saturday night into Sunday morning that we were at Six Flags, and um, I'm sure there were a lot of decent, you know, fine, good kids there, uh, but there were also... Um, well, Ben Jeske, my smeller doesn't work super great after the whole COVID thing. And uh, Ben Jeske is telling me, oh, there's that. Uh, I, I thought it would be a little bit longer before we would smell the smell of marijuana. Um, and uh, you've got, you know, kids uh, dropping cuss words that we always had to, you know, check. Is that one of our kids or not? And of course, th that never was. But uh one of our kids, but it was kind of like, couldn't, couldn't we just be at a place and enjoy ourselves having a good time, like at an amusement park without having, you know, drugs or uh, uh, cuss words or uh, immoral things going on in the shadows. Um, and, and that's the nice thing about the life to come is that God is saying there will be no bad apples. There will be no uh, people ruining the picnic by uh you know shouting and uh uh sorry i just got distracted by peter's friend in the back uh, sorry <laughs> tell him i said hi uh right. there, there won't be any um there won't be any people that there are going to ruin the experience uh all the people that are there are god's children they are believers that we are in like-minded and uh we we can just have a good time together and i think that's a very encouraging thought peter you want to add anything to that um i'm gonna apply uh, like a old chinese saying 
for, for this. Uh, like, like there's a saying in China says that the good medicines always taste bitter, which uh, to reflect on reflect on uh, what we've been through nowadays is that um, even though these uh, uh, sorry, even though this these tribulations really are like hurt for people like us to see, but like maybe think it in one way is that God is using these as an example for us to remind us that how we should follow what God said instead of following the earthly patterns. You know, sometimes it's painful to, to learn, but that's likely how you, how you learn as a human, I suppose. I like that, you know, that uh, good medicine tastes bitter. That made me think of when I was sick as a kid, my grandmother would give me tea and honey. And I just think tea is always gross and the honey didn't make it taste any better. Yeah, and the, the reminder that we have is oftentimes we in the Christian church can often look weak. We can often look like we're under the curse. And yet Jesus reminds us that we're blessed because we've had our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. That no matter who we are, no matter where the Christians and the Christian church come from, we know that the gates of the new Jerusalem have been opened wide for us as God's saints, and it's been closed to the dogs, those who are opposing God. So with this reality, the church and the spirit continue to spread the gospel until Jesus comes uh, at his return. We just celebrated his ascension. And someday we're going to be celebrating Jesus coming down again to take us to be with him. And through all of this time, through all of the tribulation, we continue to invite those who are thirsty to receive the free gift of the water of life. Anything else you guys want to bring up with these two scripture readings? Peter, that Chinese proverb kind of reminds me of uh, my father-in-law. He has a philosophy of picking out mouthwash. Like when he, when he buys mouthwash, he, he always tries to get whatever is the, the worst tasting, most burning mouthwash because he figures if it tastes so bad and burns so much, then it really must be killing a lot of the germs. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, Peter, can you say that saying in Chinese for us? Oh, it's, it's literally kuko liangyao. Uh, liangyao kuko, sorry. Yeah, I thought you messed it up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you would never know if never correct if I never correct myself. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add to this, Peter? Uh, no, no, that was great. That was great summary by you guys. All right. Well, Lord's blessings on your uh, your new ministry at uh, Illinois Lutheran High School. Thank so you. this this is Michael Zarling with Peter Shee. And you lighten up my life. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. 